Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Your voice is your most fundamental creative asset, but how do you access it? How do you let it flourish on the page? And why is your voice so important? I'm Nancy Pinuccio, and on today's episode of Writer Unleashed, we'll explore why your voice matters even more than craft, and I'll give you a writing prompt to invite your voice to come out and play. So have your pen and paper ready. Writer Unleashed is for you. A writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. We can have all the narrative craft at our fingertips, all the tools in our writer's toolbox, but if our voice is blocked, all that craft is useless. Now, I'm not minimizing craft. Craft magnifies your voice, and it ultimately gives you more freedom, much more freedom. But a lot of us have learned the techniques of storytelling without really plugging into the unique contribution we can bring to our story. And the analogy I often use is this. Imagine a dancer with all passion and no technique. When she imagines herself dancing, her body can do anything. It can take on the music's shape. Her body can leap turn, perform multiple pirouettes, there are no restrictions in how she expresses her emotional connection to the song. But without technique, her body isn't in alignment with her spirit. Her instrument restricts her. So the more technique she acquires, the more her body is free to express itself. But now let's look at the flip side. Imagine a dancer with flawless technique, but no heart. I don't know about you, but I'll take the dancer with less technique and more heart any day of the week. And that's because the dancer who's dancing from the heart, who's in flow in the moment, is connected on a deep emotional level to the music. The technically flawless dancer, on the other hand, just gives me a flatline response. And that's because she isn't connected to something deeper. I might be in awe of her proficiency and control. I might even admire her technique, 
but I'm not moved by her. There's no emotional transfer. And the same is true of writing. Now, ideally, we want to get both in alignment. We want the technique and the heart in alignment. But if you're only focusing on craft and not pulling deeper from yourself, you're still not going to write a moving story. Craft is essential, of course. It gives you more freedom and control, but awareness of craft is not nearly enough because if we're only working from a place of craft, we're skipping over the part that gives us and our readers the biggest emotional payoff. We're more likely to create a dull, mid-level voice with no highs and lows, one that merely establishes surfaces. So what we write about has to have some deeper meaning for us. It has to plug into some powerful emotion, question, perplexity, confusion, grief, whatever it is that continues to have us in its grip. So for Megan Dom, who wrote Life Would Be Perfect If I Lived in That House, for her, the quest for the perfect house was really a lifelong quest for identity. The seeds of her real estate obsession were planted early. Her parents, in their quest to climb the socioeconomic intellectual ladder, moved to various states and houses throughout her childhood. Now, Hemingway's fiction concerned itself with the inescapable reality of death, with men in extreme situations like war or the aftermath of war. He was also interested and fascinated um, in the relationships between men and women, although he was accused, rightly or wrongly, of being a misogynist. And His novel, The Old Man and the Sea, was written during a period in his life when his own youth and virility were in decline. And here's what Stephen Pressfield says in his excellent book, The War of Art. In order for a book or any project or enterprise to hold our attention for the length of time it takes to unfold itself, it has to plug into some internal complexity or passion that is of paramount importance to us. That problem becomes the theme of our work, even if we can't at the start understand or articulate it. Now, writers deal with essential questions or obsessions that fascinate them over the course of their career or lifetime. Now, maybe we're forever trying to understand the impact our parents' divorces had on us, or we're trying to find reconciliation with a childhood friend we betrayed, or we're seeking redemption from some transgression from our past. We all have our own obsessions, and these obsessions haunt us throughout our lives. They persist even if we try to suppress them, even if we try to write against those obsessions. They keep bobbing to the surface. They refuse to let us go. We don't really have a choice in what we write about. In my case, I spent the first 
20 years or so of writing fiction about my family, and in particular, about a larger-than-life absentee father who forever eluded me, and a mother who was too preoccupied with reinventing her own wounded past to be the mother I needed. So whatever stories or characters I invented, there they were. These days, I've turned the tables. I'm more interested in seeing myself and my child's father from a distance as fictional characters, maybe through my son's eyes. And so my 14-year-old might be a kid dealing with the eccentricities of his political activist artist father who has a 3,000 square foot art studio filled to the brim with found objects, or a mother who's constantly jabbering away at her keyboard in a dreamlike detachment, like some crazed pianist. I'm continually interested in the ways parents, despite their best intentions, fail their kids in some profound way. Now, there are things that we're trying to understand about our past, about our present, and we're always trying to understand these things. It's not that we'll ever figure it all out or know all there is to know about the events and the people in our lives, but that's not the point. The questions themselves, the anxiety of inquiry is what drives our stories forward. As my former mentor, Abby Frook says, we allow our works in progress to become both tools and objects of our thought and contemplation by including in novels, memoirs, and stories, events or circumstances that demand to be looked at over and over more and more deeply. So through voice, you make deeper and deeper sense of what you or your character is living through. Voice involves penetrating attention to what it all meant. And so there's a wisdom that accumulates beneath the surface events of our stories. That wisdom is a big part of what we write for, and it's a big part of what we read for. The narrator or character seems to be moving towards some clarified knowledge. And When the story works, both the reader and writer seem to arrive at that truth together. So voice is important to the work itself. It's vitally important to you as the author, but it's also important because what you have to say matters very much to your readers. Your truth connects to your reader's truth. So write about things that concern you and trust in the universality of those concerns. Your readers will find you and they'll be grateful. As Megan Dom says about her memoir, which took place during the housing bubble of 2004, houses seem to be a container for our aspirations and tastes and ambitions and anxieties. That was not just happening to me, that was happening in the world. Now, we might not share Megan Dom's obsession with finding the perfect house, but we do understand and relate to the aspirations and anxieties that drove her obsessions. So think about your experience as a reader. Now, people often say that we read for escape, but I think it goes much deeper than that. We all have this secret 
inner life. It's one that's hidden from others. It's hidden from you. And that inner world is mysterious. It's not just mysterious to others, but it's mysterious even to ourselves. We secretly feel alone, different, maybe even odd or damaged. And so we read to know we're not alone in the world, that it's okay to be scared or anxious, foolish, or confused. It's human to make choices that aren't always the wisest or the most moral. We look to fictional and non-fictional characters for solace and companionship, to share and even lessen our grief, to find humor in adverse, challenging circumstances, to find hope to accept, love, even laugh at our human frailties. The truth is, the things that make you feel odd, ashamed, damaged, or isolated are the very things that readers find most fascinating. Because we all secretly feel these things at various times. All of us do. Those things that we most want to hide are precisely the things that connect us. We read to know that we're not alone. So John Gardner used to say that nothing limits our imagination more than writing what we know. And he felt it was far more important to write about something you really care about. Now, we talked about this on episode one, why writing what you know is bad advice. The what you know is not merely the facts of your experience. It's your emotional truth. It's what you know to be true, valuable, and meaningful. It's what continues to haunt you. So here's an exercise to help you access those deep places where your voice and your best work resides. Now, a little caveat here. These are things that you might resist writing about the most. These are where all our shame lies often. And the things that we're most resistant to writing are the things we should probably be writing about because there's a lot at stake. So use that as a guide. The things that you feel shame or grief or embarrassment about, that's a good indication that you're on the right track. Fear and resistance is an indication that you're moving closer to the truth. Just know that this is normal and it's healthy to to feel that resistance. It just means you're getting closer to the nerve. So here's the exercise. List your obsessions. What do you Google in the middle of the night? What keeps you up at night? Is there a person you're obsessed with? Is there an activity you're obsessed with? Is there a celebrity you're obsessed with? Were you obsessed with this when you were a kid? Or is this obsession taking place now as an adult? Now, once you make your list, Pick one obsession, just one, the one that has the most emotional charge for you right now. Write about it. Who or what was your obsession? Use details. What was the genesis of that obsession? Was it one particular moment or did your obsession gain momentum over time? Be specific. Just write where the energy is. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope this writing prompt encourages your voice to come out and play with you. Now, 
up on my site, I have a free audio course on how to liberate your voice. And in this course, I dismantle one by one the most common misconceptions and faulty mindsets that are keeping your voice shackled. So go to nancypannuccio.com slash free resources to access your course. I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Till then, keep writing and I'll talk to you soon.